Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. As most of you know, we're in a series called Love and Respect. And we're discovering that love and respect is really the key in every relationship, every marriage relationship, every parenting relationship, every relationship you have. If you want it to be successful, it takes love and respect. But what we discovered is that a woman has a primary need of unconditional love. That's what we looked at last week. And I got all over the men, right? Didn't I? I got on the husband saying, hey, you need to give that unconditional love to your wife. And now it's the ladies' turns. Okay, and so we're going to learn today, ladies, is what the, the deep need of every man is, and that is respect. Now, we all need love, we all need respect, but men primarily need respect. I believe that even children get this. I, I saw recently a question asked of 10-year-olds, and they were asked this simple question, how do you make a marriage work? And this one boy, Ricky, who was 10 years old, said this, Tell your wife that she looks beautiful even when she looks like a truck. (laughs) See, he knows, okay? You got to give that unconditional love, right? And then there was another boy named Alan. He said this, if you want marriage to work, you got to find somebody who likes the stuff that you like. And like if it's sports, she should like sports, and then she should keep the chips and dip coming, right? (laughs) And what is he saying? I think he needs a little respect there, right? But... As sage advice as that may be from kids, let's look at some biblical advice from the apostle Peter. Now, remember who Peter is. Peter is the inner circle of Jesus himself, hung out with Jesus for three and a half years. He's one of the the leaders of the early church, and he was married, and he has incredible principles for marriage found in 1 Peter chapter 3. And the first six verses deal with wives, and that's what we're going to look at today. Look at it, 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 1. God's word says this, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they, the husbands, see your respectful and pure conduct. Now look down at verse four. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Now, let me just quickly say, those words you're not going to see anywhere in our culture today, right? I mean, those are not politically correct words. And because of the culture we live in today, there are some women who will hear these words and they will, you know, be revolted by them. They'll say, well, that, that's ridiculous. I'm an educated woman. I don't need some ancient book to tell me how to live my life. Oh, my goodness. Submit to my husband and, and a gentle and quiet spirit. How archaic. No, how biblical. And it will be to the detriment of your marriage if you don't obey them. You go, well, why would you say that? Well, God's the one who set this thing up. God's the one who created marriage. God's who, the one who's made women the way they are and made men the way we are. I mean, ladies, there's a simple fact. Inside our heart of hearts, every man is very fragile 
and he needs respect. He does. I mean, it'd be like this. It'd be like you buying a new car, and you get the owner's manual, and you look at it and go, oh, how ridiculous, unleaded gas. It's diesel in my car, right? Or you know what? Change the oil every 6,000 miles, that's ridiculous. I'm not doing that, right? Well, it would be to the detriment of your car, right? Well, God has designed men a certain way. He's designed women a certain way. We obey God, and this thing works. I mean, last week, whenever I said that the primary need that a woman has is her husband's unconditional love, all the women go, "Woo, preach it, amen. Love me the way Christ loved the church, right? And yet, we come to this passage and say, okay, wives, your husband needs your unconditional respect. And you go, oh, I don't think so. Now, what, why? In fact, ladies, I want to encourage you to do something. I encourage you to take a respect test. In the next few days... Go to your husband, maybe, you know, whenever he's not distracted by something, and say to him, you know, sweetheart, I've been thinking about you, and there's a lot of things I really respect about you. And, um, you know, I I just, I want you to know there's just so many things I really admire about you and respect about you, and you turn around and walk away. And I guarantee within the next 24 hours, he's going to come to you, and he's going to say, what exactly do you respect about me? Why? Because in the heart of every man, there is a desire to be respected by his wife. That is the deepest need of a man is respect, and a man will dry up if he doesn't get that, especially from his wife. And so today, from this text, we're going to look at the ways a wife can respect her husband. Peter's going to give us three things, very specific, and ladies, these are like three gifts of respect that you can give to your husbands, okay? I want you to jot them down on your outline. The very first one is this. Number one is that you need to have a submissive attitude. Have a submissive attitude. Look again what it says, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. I want you to circle a word there. Circle the word likewise. You see, what Peter is doing is he's connecting what he's asking wives to do with the former chapter, He's saying, ladies, in the same way. In the same way as what? Well, if you go back to chapter 2, you'll discover Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ submitted himself to the Father. Do you remember how in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done? You see, this has nothing to do with your value, your worth, who's better than the other. No, you are all, you're created in the image of Christ. Male and female, we're equal before God. Just like Jesus Christ, he and the Father are one. They're they're all part of the Trinity, and yet Jesus Christ submits to the Father. This is a spiritual principle. And God is saying, wives, just like I told the husbands to love you, unconditionally, like Jesus did on the cross, I'm asking you wives to be subject to your husbands just like Jesus was to the Father. This is a spiritual principle. Now, I want you to notice something else, because some women will will struggle with this, but I want to clarify it again. Look again at verse 1. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Circle the word husbands there. What the Bible does not teach is this, wives submit to men. Can I tell you, that's not biblical, okay? That's arrogant men that'll tell you that, okay? No, a wife submits to her husband. There's only one man you need to submit to. Who's that? Your husband, okay? I've heard women say, well, I don't trust men. Well, I don't trust a lot of men either. You just need to trust one man, your husband. And so if you're dating somebody, make sure it's somebody that you More than just, well, I can put up with him. No, it needs to be somebody that you respect and will trust, right? Because that's what the Bible says. Now, whenever we talk about submission, again, there's two extremes. 
And a lot of women, they deal with fear because they're like, I don't know if I can really do this. And so some women will be repulsed by this and they'll go the other extreme. They'll say, no way, I'm going to rebel against this, I'm going to be critical of my husband, I mean, I'm smarter than him, I'm more spiritual than him, you know what, if this doofus in the bed with me would just do what I tell him to do, our marriage would be fine. And you go, I wonder why your marriage isn't working, right? So that's one extreme, I'm just going to disregard what God says in his word. The other extreme is that women, some women will see these verses and they'll think, okay, I'm supposed to be a doormat. I'm supposed to be mousy, and I'm his, you know, slave, and I got to, you know, bow to him and walk 15 steps behind him. Can I tell you, the Bible does not teach that at all, okay? Listen to me, ladies. God does not tell you to take abuse or be mistreated by your husband. God never says that, okay? In fact, if your husband's abusing you, this is what I tell you to do. Call the police and have him arrested, okay? That's what you're called to do, okay? God expects you to take abuse from anybody, okay? And so, what, what, what are we talking about here? Well, here's the thing. Gr- the Greek word that Paul uses here is in Greek literature, it's describing two kings that sit down at a negotiation table, and they talk about things with one another. And then one of them will, for the benefit of both, will submit to the other. Let me just tell you practically how this works out. Um, let's just say you've got this major decision. Okay, I'm not talking about minor decisions, um, like, okay, what we're going to have for dinner. She wants fish and he wants steak. Guys, just eat fish, okay? All right? And we, we learned this last week, sacrificially love your wives, eat fish, okay? But, you know, whenever Susan and I are making a major decision, you know, maybe finances or parenting or discipline or some plans of the future, you know, what do we do? We sit down and we'll talk about it and we'll pray about it. We'll discuss with one another. See, this is not saying wives need to shut up. That's not what it's saying here at all. In fact, you know what the Bible says? In Proverbs chapter 19, verse 14, a prudent wife is a gift from the Lord. You know, my wife gives me a great deal of insight. You see, my wife is my closest friend and companion. We share everything together. I learn a great deal from my wife. And so the two of us will share together with one another. And guess what? 95% of the time, we'll come up with some mutual agreement together. But in those 5% of the times when we don't agree, you know what? She submits to me. She says, Tony, you make the call, right? And she supports whatever decision I make. And there's been plenty of times I've made a decision and it was wrong. And she doesn't come back and go, told you. No, she doesn't. She supports my decision, okay? She trusts God and all that. That's what Peter is saying here. In fact, ladies, this is what I want you to do. I I put it on your outline just so you can see it, but check this out. Ladies, go on record with your husband and tell him that you see him as having 51% of the responsibility, and therefore he also has 51% of the authority. What are you saying? You're saying, I believe that God's going to hold you accountable one day for being the spiritual leader of our home. You have that responsibility, so therefore I'm going to give you the deciding vote. I'm going to give you the 51% of authority. Does that make sense? Now, a lot of women, they'll look at this, and they'll be fearful. They're like, I can't trust my husband. I mean, my husband's leadership's going to be crazy. I'm going to be miserable. So like one lady put it, she said this. She said, I want him to be the head. I want him to be the leader. I just want him to make decisions in keeping with what I want. Well, that's the problem. There's going to be plenty of times that he's going to make decisions that it's not what you want. And so what are you going to do? Either you're going to respond in fear, I can't do this, or you're going to respond in faith. God, 
I'm going to trust you. This is what your word says. So, God, I'm going to operate in the faith realm. That's what the Bible is telling us to do here. In fact, that's the analogy the Apostle Peter points to. Check it out. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Circle the word hope in God. This is a faith issue. Okay, I'm not going to operate in fear. I'm going to operate in faith. Look at verse 6. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. In your outline, circle the word do not fear. See, the opposite of fear is faith. God is saying, ladies, this is going to be hard, but you need to have a submissive attitude to your husbands, and don't do it in fear. Just trust God. Now, the analogy of Sarah and Abraham is an interesting one. Why? Because did Abraham listen to his wife, Sarah? Most definitely, he did, right? He didn't tell her to shut up, right? But what's interesting as well is that whenever they were going to Egypt, Abraham says to Sarah, Sarah, you're the most beautiful woman on this world. And I think that once they find out that I'm your husband, that what they're going to do, they're going to kill me so they can get you. And since you're my half-sister, if you didn't know that, Abraham and Sarah, they were half-brother and sister. Since you're my half-sister, this is what I want you to tell everybody. Tell everybody I'm your brother, but don't tell them we're married. And now whenever you read that, you go, what? Abraham, you call that a plan? That ain't no plan. That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, right? What did Sarah do? Sarah goes, okay. So she does. And she trusts God, and guess what? God took care of Sarah. Why? Here's the principle. God's bigger than your husband. Okay? Turn to the person next to you and say, God's bigger than a husband. God is bigger than a husband. And what did God do? God totally humiliated Abraham and took care of Sarah. Now, I've given you a a definition for submission in the past. If you haven't written this down, you can jot it down today. It's not on your outline, but you can jot it down, okay? Here's my definition of submission. Ready? Here it is. Submission is ducking and letting God knock your husband's head off. Let me say that again. Submission is ducking and letting God knock your husband's head off. You're looking at somebody whose head's been knocked off multiple times, Okay? Why? Because God says, when I see a woman who's going to trust me and going to respect her husband, I'm going to take care of that woman. I'm going I'm to provide for that woman. Or you can control things and say, no, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And then you're going to operate in fear rather than faith. Listen, God is bigger than your husband. Trust God. Now, I've got a couple of application questions that I have there on the outline for the ladies here today. Here's the first question is this. Do you praise your husband for the good decisions that he makes? Listen, your husband makes a lot of amazing decisions. Do you praise him for those? Second question, are you gracious whenever he makes a bad decision? Or do you come back and say, you stupid idiot, I told you so. Don't do that, okay? Third question, do you disagree with him in front of others or only in private? Can I tell you, when you disagree with your husband in public, it humiliates him. Never do that. Never make fun of your husband in that way. Why? It goes at his very core of need for respect. And so the first thing is the way you respect your husband with a submissive attitude. The second thing is this. Jot this down. Give him regular admiration. Give him regular admiration. I believe that most conflicts in a marriage and most conflicts outside of a marriage with a man is because somewhere along the way he felt disrespected. 
Look at what Peter says. He's addressing this, verse 2. When they, talking about husbands, see your respectful and pure conduct. In your outline, circle the word respectful. And so, ladies, here's your assignment for this week. Ready? I want you to go around and tell everybody how amazing and awesome and wonderful your husband is. I want you to tell your kids, your dad is amazing. I want you to tell your friends, my husband's incredible. I want you to get on Facebook and just post all these amazing things about your husband this week. I encourage you to do that. And you may be, some of you may go, well, Pastor Tony got a little problem with that. What's that? He ain't all that amazing. He's not all that wonderful. Then why'd you marry him? Well, he wasn't as much of a jerk then as he is now. Yet, can I tell you something? I don't believe your husband's any worse than what he was. In fact, I imagine he's probably better than what he was. You see, what it was is before you focused on all the positive qualities in his life, and now today all you can focus is on the negative. Let me just let all you ladies in on a secret. Every man wants to be your hero. Every husband wants to be the hero of his wife. He does. Now, again, if you corner a man, he'll say, no, I'm strong. I don't need that. I ain't all over that. I'm not all that male ego. I'm nothing like that. He's lying. See, every man has a very fragile ego on the inside. We are. We put up a front like we've got it all together, but we have a very fragile ego, And if we feel disrespected, it crushes our ego. That's why we run from you. That's why we do the things that we do, because of a male ego. In fact, let me put it to you like this. I believe that men are basically grown up, and yet in our heart, we're just 12-year-old boys. You go, in what way? Well, imagine what a 12-year-old boy is like, okay? When he comes home, he says, hey, mom, mom, look at how many chin-ups I can do. And she goes, oh, you're amazing. You're the strongest kid. Let me feel those muscles. You are so amazing, right? Hey, mama, look at how far I can kick that ball. Oh, you're the best kid on the team. I don't think anybody's better than you. You are just so incredible, right? And he says, yeah, I am. And then what happens? Well, that that works for about, you know, till he's 14, 15, 16 years old. And then one day he comes in and he says, hey, mom, mom, look what I can do. And she goes, you know, that's great. But look, you, you didn't clean up your room. Hey, mom, 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 look what I can do. And she says, I don't care about that. Look, look, feel my muscle. I don't want to feel your muscle. I want you to take the garbage out. And so what does he then do? He goes looking for another woman. That's what he goes and does. And he goes to school. And there's a little girl there and says, you're so wonderful. You're amazing. You're incredible. And he says, yeah, I am. You want to feel my muscle? Here it is. There I am. Right? You're the best on the team. You're the most incredible thing. And what does the boy do? He goes, I want to marry you. I want to marry you. Right? And then what happens? Everything's fine for a couple of years. And then he comes home and says, look at what I did today. Look what I did at work. And she says, I don't care about that. You haven't touched the to-do list I gave you. But, but, but look what I can do over here. Well, feel my muscle. I don't want to feel your muscle. I want you to do this on the list. And what does a man do? He starts looking for another woman. Now, that's a sad reality, but most affairs have little to nothing to do with physical things. It's emotional. A man has a fragile ego, and he goes through life looking for somebody to tell him how amazing he is. And whenever a wife does that, he'll turn the world upside down for that woman. But whenever the woman discredits him and tears him down, it destroys him at a level that very few things do. Love the story of Evie Hill. 
Um, he was an incredible pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. I heard him speak several times, the most incredible speakers. Um, he did the funeral for his wife, Jane. She had died of cancer, and he was doing the eulogy. And during her eulogy, um, he shared just the different ways that his wife had built him up through the years. He tells of a time, whenever they were early in the ministry and just financially barely getting by, that one day he comes home and he notices that she has set up a um, candlelight dinner for the two of them. And he goes to clean up in the bathroom and turns on the light, and the, you know, the light doesn't come on. And so he goes to the bedroom and tries the light switch again, and the, the light doesn't come on. And he says, Jane, where's the, what's the deal with the lights? Are they turned off? And she comes up there and says, oh, sweetheart, you work so hard, and I know things have been really tight. Um, we didn't have enough money to pay the electric bill. But um, I thought, you know what? We're not going to worry about that tonight. We're just going to have us a candlelight dinner. Now, Evie Hill said in that moment, she could have crushed me in that moment. She could have said, never in my life have I ever been so embarrassed that, you know what, the, the lights were turned off. That never happened to me. He said she could have demoralized me. She could have ruined me. She could have crushed me by her words. But she didn't. You know what she said? She said, you know, I know we'll get these lights back on, but tonight we're not going to worry about it. We're going to eat by candlelight. Ladies, you have incredible power over your husband to build him up or crush him. If by your words you keep saying to him that he's inadequate, he's not good enough, he's not working hard enough, he's not providing enough, I'm telling you, it will crush him. I mean, think of it this way. When a man loses his job, it's like you losing your best friend. So many men get their esteem from their work. That's why whenever we, you know, talk to each other, we say, hey, what do you do? What do you do? Why? Because that's where most of us as men get our esteem. But if you don't respect that in him or you just see him as a meal ticket, it discredits him and it hurts him at the deepest level. So, ladies, let me give you some application questions. Number one. Do you tell your husband how much you appreciate him? Do you tell your husband how much you appreciate him? You know, most of us as men will throw away anniversary cards or birthday cards, but if you make it a respect card and you write down all the incredible things that we are, we'll keep that card forever. Why? Because we live on respect. Second question, do you praise him for how hard he works? Don't take your husband's work ethic for granted. If he works hard, praise him for that. And then finally, do you allow him to dream? Allow him to dream. Every boy wants to be a hero, and a way to a man's heart is through his ego. Listen, I'm just telling you the truth. Ladies, you have incredible power. You just need to thank and be appreciative of the man that you have. There's a third gift that the Apostle Peter says of respect that wives can get. Jot this on your outline. Avoid becoming argumentative. Avoid becoming argumentative. Um, You see, most men, if you ask them, what do you want at the home? They'll say something like this. I just want my wife to be happy. She doesn't seem happy anymore. She always seems to gripe and complain. That's what Peter's addressing. Look at it in verse three. He says this. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry and clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is precious. 
What Peter is saying is, is that, you know what? So many women focus most of their time on the external. And there's nothing wrong with the external, okay? There's nothing wrong with having a beautiful wife. I have a beautiful wife. Nothing wrong with that. But what Peter is saying is, is that, ladies, you need to focus on the internal qualities of your heart as well. Because you know what? You can have a beautiful wife, but yet she's bitter and angry and unforgiving in her heart, and she's ripping the marriage apart. You know what? You can look beautiful on the outside and spend all this time on the outside, and yet internally you're ripping the family apart by the things that you say and do. And so Peter says, focus on that. There have been many occasions, I'd say hundreds of occasions, where there's been times where Susan and I you know, are in a rough spot. And I know it, and I see it in her face and countenance. I'll say, Susan, what's going on? And she'll say something like this. She'll say, Tony, I can't talk to you about it right now because if I do, I'm going to wound you with my words. Let me get alone with God. Let me get in the Word. Let me pray so that I can talk to you with the right spirit. And she does, and she comes back, and she comes with a loving spirit. Now, she may say something to me that may be hard for me to hear, but guess what? I'm hearing it. Why? Because she comes with a loving, respectful way. That's what Peter is talking about. Listen, so many women, and I believe this is true, so many women look at their husbands as inferior to them. I've seen this over and over again with wives in counseling, that they honestly believe they're better than their husbands, they're smarter than their husbands, and they're more spiritual than their husbands, and they think that they've really got everything figured out, and the husband is just a stupid idiot. Now, they may never say that, but that's basically what they do. And so what do they do? They think they've got to change their husband, and they've got to nag, 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 nag to change their husband. Is that going to work? It may work for a short season. You may get one project on your to-do list done, but it's not going to work in the long haul. In fact, look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 19, 13 says this. A quarrelsome wife is as annoying as a constant dripping. Ever been around a house with a constant dripping? Drip, 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 drip. You go, somebody fix that stupid faucet, right? Nag, 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 nag. Somebody fix that wife, right? All right? In fact, take a look at this picture. That's a granite sink designed to hold water. And yet that faucet dripped, drip, 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 drip until it eventually cracked the granite. That's what can happen to your marriage. Some of your marriages look that way. You know, but I can tell you something. Whenever you have a wife that is affirming and appreciative and building the husband up, a husband will move heaven and earth for that woman. A man will change whatever needs to change to please that woman. Why? Because she admires him so much. That's what the Bible's telling us here. Remember the context of these verses. Look again at verse 1. It says this. Even if some, even if some husband do not obey the word, they will be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What's he talking about? He's talking about an unbeliever. He's talking about somebody who's in rebellion. This is a rebellious husband to God. And yet God says, I'm going to change this man through the conduct of the wife. You see, a lot of women think, okay, I've got to somehow convert my husband. I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to nag him to the kingdom of God. I heard about one husband. He said this. You know, my wife became a Christian, and suddenly it was like living with Billy Graham. And she's preaching to me all the time and leaving tracks on my Budweiser cans and on my pillow and wrote me a note, turn or burn, how hot is hell, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> Can I tell you something? You're never going to pressure anybody into the kingdom of God. You won't. How do you do it? Respect honor. That's how. 
For Easter, we shared the testimony of former atheist Lee Strobel. Remember that? How did he come to faith? Lee Strobel, you know, he's an investigative journalist for Chicago Tribune, you know, he's got a law degree, atheist. He was married to his wife, Leslie, who's an agnostic. And then one day she comes home and says, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I mean, he hit the roof. He couldn't believe it. He thought, okay, we're, we're going to end in divorce. And what he decided to do is, I've got to convince her how idiotic this Christianity thing is. And you know what Leslie did? She responded in love and respect. She was patient and calm and kind. And he noticed peace in her that she had never had before. And suddenly he's like, this woman's different. And it opened his mind to consider all the options and eventually came to faith in Jesus Christ. I can take you to dozens of men in our church who have come to Christ or come back to Christ. Why? Because of their wife. The greatest influence in my life is my wife, Susan. She has the greatest impact of anyone. And yet so many wives look down on their husbands. And the reason why they don't respect their husbands is because they think they're superior to their husbands. They think they're smarter than their husbands. They think they're godlier than their husbands. And therefore, they don't respect their husbands. A couple of weeks back, I read this story of this woman who had little or no respect of her husband. In fact, she would say that she would, you know, make fun of her husband and his ideas behind his back and, you know, just, you know, just couldn't believe that how idiotic some of his thoughts were. And all that changed one day. She said she was going shopping and was near her husband's office, and she called him up and said, um, you know, I, I'm nearby. Is that okay if I just swing by your office? And he said, sure, I'm a little busy, but come on by. And so she comes by, and he was very busy, and she had to sit down and wait. And as she waited, she observed something. She observed how all the other people in his office just esteemed him and respected him and saw his boss and how much his boss respected him and saw his pretty classy secretary and how much she respected him. And then she said there was an older gentleman that worked for him that sat down under her husband's desk, and, you know, even though this man was older and had, you know, more experience, at the end of the conversation, he said, yes, sir. And she said, something in my stomach just churned. And, and then his classy, good-looking secretary comes and gives him the papers and, and you know, and, and respects him and says, yes, sir, and, and then walks away. And he says, hey, good to see you. And they greet each other, and she goes, well, I've got to go. I just want to say hi, and I'll see you this evening. She walks out of her car and sits down in her car, and she says she just breaks down in tears because she realized something. Every other person in her husband's life respects him except her. And it's not that he was a bad husband. It wasn't that he, he wasn't a good man. It was just simply he was not matching up to her expectations, and so she was critical of him. Ladies, let me say something. Your husband will never meet your expectations. He'll never be all you want him to be. Do you know why? He's a sinner, and so are you. And if you think that you're going to change your husband through criticism, you're fooling yourself. You're going to become his mom. Or some of you think, I'm going to correct him and change him, and you think you're the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you something? You are not God the Holy Spirit. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not God the Holy Spirit. You're not God the Holy Spirit. You're not God the Holy Spirit. So ladies, let me give you a couple of questions just to, you know, end our time together. First application question is this. Do you think you're superior to a husband? Do you think you're superior to your husband? I want you to be honest with yourself. Because if you do, you need to repent. 
You have an arrogant spirit, and that's why you're not respecting your husband. You need to repent. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You want God to change your husband, then you give him the respect he deserves. Second is this. Do you speak with love or bitterness when you disagree with your husband? Listen, you may change your husband a short while with a little nagging, but you will not change him for the long haul. So many marriages are on the crazy cycle. How do you get off? Husbands, make a choice. I'm going to love my wife unconditionally. Wives, you make a choice. I'm going to respect my husband unconditionally. I've said it already. I'll say it again. A man will move heaven and earth for the woman who adores him and respects him. He will change into the man you've always dreamed of, but it only happens if you will honor him with respect. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale. And we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.